Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Galen Hare. He is the owner of Insurance Claim HQ, which is a property casualty insurance company. He's an attorney working with property casualty insurance companies. Uh, mostly in the southeast. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Galen. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Tell us briefly your history and how you got to where you are today. <laughs> so I guess I'm what you'd call a non-traditional path lawyer. So my background is actually in classical music. That's what I majored in. That's what I got my undergraduate degree in. That was kind of the general trajectory I was on. I didn't do political science or anything that all of the fancy lawyers do. But I did end up kind of accidentally coming down to New Orleans, well, I guess on purpose to volunteer, but ended up enrolling in law school and becoming a lawyer. Okay, so your specialty is insurance claims, uh, property casualty insurance claims. So just kind of, let's let's take a, we're going to get into the details of it, but let's take a broad look at the situation. Uh, we've had a massive amount of catastrophes this year, fires and floods and tornadoes and hurricanes and so on. What is the overall state of the property insurance market in light of all these disasters we've already had and probably will continue to have? Yeah, less volatile than you would think. Um, I think there tends to be this perception that the more and more disasters that occur, the insurance companies become more unstable. Of course, that makes economic and, and logical sense, but that's not always the case. A lot of these big disasters even if they kind of seem like they're out of nowhere, you can kind of go back and look at a farmer's almanac or whatever and see that they do happen every so many years, right? So the insurance companies have largely budgeted for those. We will start to see, given how many big disasters there have been, we'll start to see some smaller kind of regional insurance companies maybe fail, get put into receivership. I think that's already started to happen in the fourth quarter of 2021. Um, that'll be a kind of a state-by-state state thing, but by and large, the the big insurance companies will still be there. So uh, they've t- taken an enormous amount of hits, but you're saying that they've got the reserves to cover this without any particular issue. Yeah, they've got the reserves to cover it. They planned on it when they were fixing the premiums. Their actuarial tables are still sound. So what has happened to property casualty insurance premiums in general? Oh, I mean, they've been on a steady increase. Any any homeowner or business property owner that's sitting there listening, I, I'd invite you to go do a comparative analysis over the last five to 10 years, and especially a 10-year analysis. Your, your year one premium, I mean, your year t- 10 premium is easily a multiple factor at this point. It's You're paying so much more than you were paying a decade ago. So people are not only paying more, but in certain areas, the insurance companies have pulled out. I think of uh, Florida as far as hurricanes and California's filed wildfires. Are, are insurance companies going to keep pulling out of areas that they feel is too much risk? Oh, for sure. I mean, so so this is an interesting situation. The way insurance works in the United States is largely a state-regulated thing, not a federal-regulated thing, right? So insurance companies, if they're savvy want to do the most they can to offer the least that they can in as few areas with risk as possible, right? I mean, the ideal insurance company would only write for homes or businesses that they think are no risk, both from a climate standpoint and an economic standpoint, but that's not feasible. So for instance, 
it's hard to be a residential insurer in a state where hurricanes happen if you want wind and hail exclusions. There will be some kind of state mandated requirement that certain coverage be offered. And if it's not offered, it needs to be approved in the way for opting out of it. So insurance companies will say, oh, we're pulling out of this area. But if you look kind of historically, that's cyclical. Like I came down here for Hurricane Katrina. A lot of carriers left after Katrina. Well, they're all here again for Hurricane Ida 16 years later. So they, they obviously didn't actually pull out. They temporarily pulled out to mitigate their risk. But as they wanted to continue earning premiums in that state, in this case, Louisiana, they knew they had to start writing that risk again in order to participate in that market. Now, one thing that's different from the past is that we've had much lower interest rates for a long period of time. Typically, insurance companies make a lot of their money by investing the premiums for earning a return on their uh, treasury bonds and so on. What has been the impact of low interest rates on the insurance premium market? Oh, I mean, I'm not sure from a from kind of a macroeconomic analysis, I can tell you, if you're watching your premiums, they're not going down when interest rates are, right? If anything, some people are still financing their premiums and those stay at an artificially inflated rate. So I don't think you're seeing any material benefit as an insured as a result of lower premium or lower insurance rates at all. Well, it'd be the opposite. I'm saying when you have low interest rates, the property casualty insurance companies don't earn as much on their premium dollars when they're investing them. And therefore, that may be a reason why premiums are going up because the insurance companies are not earning much interest on their bond holdings. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's possible that they're doing that in part in part to earn lost income. However, they're also partially having to apply for a rate, you know, depending on the state. Again, and this is the problem with insurance in the United States is it's so state by state regulated when they want to raise their premiums in some states, they have to apply for permission to do so. So they kind of have to show the supporting documentation and what they're showing is that the risk is increasing, right? They're not, they're not actually focused on the insurance rates. I think you may be 100% correct that that's a motivating factor, but it's certainly not documented. So you help clients battle insurance companies. Is that correct, basically what you're doing? Yeah, I, uh, the way I explain it is I, for an insured, I help them help the insurance company do the right thing. Probably the insurance company doesn't think of it that way, but it's... Yeah, I don't think they like me as much as I think they should, but I do help them do the right thing. So are you considered, I, mean, I know you're a lawyer, but are you considered an adjuster? Is that somebody that would kind of helps somebody figure out how much they should get after being hit by a disaster? Yeah, so the short answer is no. Um, adjusters are regulated again state by state because there's no kind of federal system for this yet. Um, one day I think we will see that, but we're not even close right now. So what happens is adjusters by state by state, we'd be talking about a public adjuster if they helped insureds, and we'd be talking about what typically is known as a claims adjuster or an independent adjuster if they help insurance companies. Many states now have licensing requirements for those. I'm not licensed as one. In fact, in most states, attorneys are exempt from those requirements. So we just call ourselves attorneys, but yes, we do help in the pre-suit process. We don't always run into court. In fact, we can resolve the majority of our claims outside of court. So let's go for a typical situation. Somebody's been hit by a flood, say, okay? And uh, it's clearly damaged or ruined their home. They apply to their insurance company uh, to get, uh, you know, the, the compensation. Uh, they don't think it's enough. Uh, they appeal. 
the insurance company turns them down. Why do they need somebody like you? Why can't they just work this out between the insured and the insurance company? Yeah, so um, you picked a fascinating example because you picked a flood, and I've been harping on this as state-by-state regulated, and the only thing that is federally regulated right now is flood. But whether it be a flood, a fire, whatever, right? And, and flood is a bit tacky because – not um, tacky in terms of sticky because – the federal government helps underwrite that flood risk, right? But if you're talking about a hurricane, a fire, something like that, the problem is you're dealing with typically a profit-making entity. And even if you look at that and say, well, it's a mutual insurance company, they're not really turning profits, look at how much their officers are paid, right? So there's an inherent financial disincentive to pay you what you should be entitled to. And there's actually a really interesting reason behind that that goes back to the late 1990s. But suffice to say, insurance companies have made an intentional decision over the last couple of decades to change the way that they pay claims and the way they deal with them. So I would say that if you're that person that just experienced, let's say, a fire or a hurricane to your home, you probably are not going to get treated fairly. And that's really nice that you feel that you will get treated fairly. I feel for you. Um, you're falling victim to billions of dollars in marketing every year by insurance companies. The reality is it just isn't going to happen. So what happened in the late 90s to change the way they pay claims? Yeah, Allstate hired a company called McKinsey & Company, and they asked McKinsey & Company to review the way that they pay claims, the way they handle claims, the way they deal with claims. And the net effect of that was to fundamentally change the approach to handling insurance claims to take kind of more of a wait and see approach, less of an aggressive, hey, let's get this claim resolved and get you paid everything you need. Much more of a focus on sitting back and waiting, allowing the insured to feel pressure, to feel angst, to feel panic, and then coming in and offering less. And that approach would later infect the entire insurance industry. And if you're doing the math, you can kind of figure out, well, that was the late 90s, right? Took about 10 years to get hold. And then what happens in 2008? We have a financial crisis and all these financial and insurance executives lose jobs, shift around, and all of a sudden, all these insurance companies are now sharing information and even sharing leadership and people in a very different way as a result of this shuffle. Okay. Um, It's it's so much opposite the image that they come out. You know, we're we're on, on your side and, you know, in good hands and all those kind of things to make people reassured we're going to be there for you. We're financially strong. Don't worry. That's the message that they're giving. You're saying that's not the reality of, of what people experience these days. I'm saying that absolutely is not the reality. You know, this year was like the year of cute animal commercials. I felt like every insurance company had cute animals, even if it wasn't their um, their theme or their motto or their mascot. And I got to say, when you're using cute animals to advertise, <laughs> I often feel like there's something you're hiding about your actual product, right? And what were they hiding? Yeah, I think what they're hiding is that they're not necessarily looking out for your best interest. They usually aren't looking out for your best interest. And that's unfortunate. And I think that's a hard pill for people to swallow. But if you look at the data, the data is there. The vast majority of claims are underpaid. And I would go so far as to say most people that think they're being paid fairly actually aren't being paid fairly, but they just don't realize what they have, what rights they have under their policy. So what has been the role of the government in this? I mean, you've got insurance regulators, you've got consumer activists, you've got Congress, all these people looking at the insurance companies. Is everybody completely blind and dumb to what's going on here? 
No, there's a federal law in place that basically says the regulation of insurance uh, should be left to the states. So this, so 50 different states, 50 different results, right? You could have a very, very aggressive commissioner of insurance office that will really work with insureds to make sure they get paid fairly. Or you could have a commissioner of insurance office, which more often than not is the case, that's full of people that used to work for insurance companies. And when you have insurance company executives telling insurance companies how to behave, you have an inherent conflict. And for me, that's a problem. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Galen Hare. He is the owner of Insurance Claim HQ, which helps people get better uh, settlements on their insurance claims. You can find out more at his website, insuranceclaimhq.com. We'll be back after this. Whether you're a crypto pro or a total beginner, you can finally earn Bitcoin the easy way. With the world's first Bitcoin rewards credit card from BlockFi, you can earn unlimited Bitcoin on every qualifying purchase you make. Introducing the BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. It's the easiest way to get Bitcoin by just making everyday purchases. Grow your Bitcoin portfolio when you buy your groceries, pay your bills, fill up at a gas station, or have a meal at a restaurant. You can earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all qualifying purchases with no reward limits. Plus, there's no annual fee and no, no foreign transaction fees. Just Bitcoin earned on every single qualifying purchase. Now's the time to start or ramp up your Bitcoin portfolio. Bitcoin saw a 230% annualized return in 2020 and has been strong for most of this year as well. In fact, Bitcoin has been the best performing asset of the last decade, outperforming the NASDAQ by 100, by 10 times. BlockFi is a leader in crypto and was named to the Forbes FinTech 50 list in 2021. Plus, BlockFi is the easiest place to buy, sell, and earn crypto. There's no better time to sign up and start earning Bitcoin today. Right now, listeners to The Money Answer Show can earn a bonus of $25 in crypto after you make your first purchase with a credit card when you sign up at BlockFi.com money. That's a $25 bonus in crypto deposited right into your account after you make your first purchase. But you have to use my URL, which is BlockFi.com money. Start earning Bitcoin back on all your purchases today. Go to BlockFi.com money. Not all will be eligible. Geographic, regulatory, and underwriting restrictions apply. Fees and terms are subject to change. Additional terms of service at BlockFi.com. BlockFi is a financial technology company. Banking services provided by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. 
That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Galen Hare. He is the owner of Insurance Claim HQ. You can find out more at his website, insuranceclaimhq.com. He helps people get better deals when they're having an insurance claim. Welcome back to the show, Galen. Thanks. So let's go through the process of somebody has, we had a flood, we had a fire. Let's do a fire. Say, say somebody in California who was burned out by one of the wildfires we had this year. Um, wh- how do you get involved in the process of uh, getting them a better deal than they would get if they just applied to the insurance company directly? Yeah, so I think what usually happens in, in my experience is people try to go it alone with their insurance company. I actually don't recommend that. I actually recommend getting someone involved as early as possible, but I understand human nature. They're worried about hiring someone or having an expenditure when inherently as a result of the advertising, they really feel like they're going to get treated fairly. So they, they go it alone, they get some amount of money, and they find out the hard way that that is not the amount of money that they need to fix their house, pay for their relocation expenses or their, you know, out of home expenses and the stuff that they lost, the actual contents, right? So once they reach that realization, some of them will actually turn around and hire either an attorney or a public adjuster. So that's where we'll show up. And what we'll do is actually walk you through that process. So first we'll explain kind of what's going on to you because we find a lot of consumers don't understand what's actually being done in terms of the adjustment process. And then we actually will undertake our own, what I call parallel adjustment process to the with the insurance company where we kind of separately adjust the claim and then advocate to the insurance company to get them to pay what we believe they should pay based on our adjustment. So if you accept the first offer from the insurance company, you accept the payment, is that it? You can't appeal it? You've kind of done or or can you take that payment and then go back for more? Yeah, many states, the rule is that you can take that first check and you can still get more money. Uh, that's not necessarily the case in every state. In fact, in some states, if they put settlement or payment in full at the bottom, that might be binding. But most states have adopted kind of a consumer-friendly approach where you get that check. We call it an undisputed tender. 
you realize later that's not enough money and you still have the right to ask for more. Now you have to do certain things. There's like certain time periods. Those are longer or shorter depending on the state or even the insurance policy. But generally speaking, it's not over just because you took a check. It's it's not like personal injury, right? So I woke up this morning and I live in Louisiana where we just have so many bad personal injury attorney commercials. So um, I feel like I, I hear in my head like nonstop, like when I'm watching the news in the morning, in a wreck, need a check, you know, before you get a check, check with me, right? And you all hear them wherever you live because that, that's what it is. But it's not like that for your property insurance typically. Typically, you can still recover money. So for personal injury, once you accept the check, it's over pretty much. Yeah, because they're usually paying you as some kind of settlement because you're a third party. What we're really talking about is the difference between third party claims and first party claims. A third party claim is, man, that guy rear-ended me and I want his insurance to pay for it. A first party claim is like, if you're using the car example, I want my underinsured or uninsured motorist coverage to pay, right? So you're the person, and what first party really means is you're the person in a special relationship with the insurance company that you're asking to pay you. You're not you're not a stranger. So that's why it's different. So most insurance policies today have what's called full replacement value. So is that a misnomer? They're not really providing you full replacement value? Well, they they should. I mean, so I don't know if it's a misnomer. It certainly feels like a lie sometimes. Um, but they're supposed to pay you what we call replacement cost value, RCV. Um, there are people that have policies that are ACV, which is not that. But I find that even with replacement cost value claims, meaning the policy says they'll pay that, they typically are underpaid. And that's just unfortunate all the way around because it means that there's funds that you weren't able to access, so you weren't able to get the work done, right? It's not an auto body claim. It's not like go get three estimates, the insurance company is going to pick the lowest and that's who you're going to do, right? Like that That's not the way it works. This is your house or your business. You're entitled to have in most states, now everything's going to be in most states, right? Because everywhere is kind of different. But in most states, you're entitled to have a contractor that you trust, that you like, that you think will do a good job to fix your home or your business property, not just whoever is willing to do it at the lowest cost, regardless of whether they know what they're doing or not. Now, this last year, we've had big inf- increases in prices for lumber and you know all the materials that go into a house, basically. Are the insurance companies being forced to take that into account when they say what full replacement value is based on the realistic prices of, of uh, materials these days? Yeah, you know, I I went up in my attic like six months ago and I found a bunch of plywood up there and I felt like I was able to retire um, because the prices have been so high, you know, but um, (laughs) but but seriously, like the prices have been absolutely through the roof and you're 100 percent correct. And I think that's an area we're always able to add value in my mind. You know, I, I think there's rarely a claim that we can't find something missing. But this year we've been able to just add massive value to claims as a direct result of insurance companies wanting to ignore the increased cost of materials and labor, whereas we never ignore that. That's one of the first things we look at when we pick up a claim. So, okay, you're in this situation. Do you look at comparables? How do you come up with a reasonable, it may not be the right word, but rational um, estimate of what the insurance company should pay for somebody whose house just burned down in a community where there was all kinds of houses burned down. 
Yeah, so when we're talking about an actual physical property, okay, the structure is what we're calling it, not talking about contents or anything like that, what we're going to do is we're going to retain experts that we believe properly value it. And, and I'll tell you, what it really is is this. Most insurance companies are using one of two computer systems that, in my mind, have the net effect of lowering the amount of claim that's actually paid. And sometimes it looks really honest. Like you look at it and you're like, oh, look, they replaced my roof, right? Because it says remove shingles, replace shingles. But I have questions like, are you paying for the appropriate safety equipment? Are you replacing the decking? What's underneath the shingles, right? So if you use, even even if you use the insurance company friendly computer systems the right way, which we do, I think you find the claim just goes up significantly, but we don't stop at that. We also will find contractors that we like and that we trust and we'll get them to bid out the jobs as well. Because if there's a market force that these computer systems aren't catching, we need to know that. And I can give you a great example. The insulation board that's on commercial roofs, it's called ISO board. It's like back ordered right now for six months. You can't get it. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Well, the price is pulling over just fine from the computer system and the price is accurate, but it means we need to do something to that roof because we can't replace that roof for another six months. So we have to take some kind of temporary measures and your insurance company is likely glossing over that fact to avoid paying you for it. When they see you coming, uh, do they say, oh boy, we've got a fancy lawyer here. We'd, we'd rather just settle or they, they're, they're into battle. I mean, is this like war that they see they can wear them down until they accept what they're going to offer? <laughs> yes to both, I think, is the answer. <laughs> I, I definitely have had adjusters say, look, if you'll leave me alone, I'll pay your demand, right? Um, and although it hurts my feelings, it certainly feels good. But But I find that sometimes there are cases that it really just is going to be a battle and there's a good reason for it. So when we see that, we see a denial and we think the insurance company isn't right, but we kind of see where they're coming from. We definitely approach it from a, this is going to be a knockdown, drag out fight kind of approach. But but yeah, it does happen often in kind of the pre-litigation world where we can just write the insurance company and they're like, we really don't want, we don't want a big battle on this. We're just fighting you on some pricing things and we had authority to pay what you needed anyway. And in those cases, yeah, I think we resolve them really quickly without a major battle. And when does it have to go to litigation? I mean, is there a certain dollar amount? I mean, at what point is it worth it to go into court over these things? Yeah, that's an economic analysis that's going to depend on even the county, not just the state, right, in terms of what it's going to cost. But I'll say generally speaking this. If you're in a state, and there are plenty of states where that's true, where there are protections for people being treated unfairly by insurance companies, and you don't have enough money to recover from the accident, less your deductible, um, the accident being the casualty, then you should really consider going to litigation if your insurance company is not going to do the right thing because you're changing their actuarial tables. If you go away, you were teaching them that they don't have to do anything to pay you pre-lit, right? And, and that's going to change how they treat your entire community in my mind. So you definitely don't want to back down. But most people probably are reluctant to go to litigation. It's a long, complicated, time-consuming kind of a process. Yeah, it can be. I don't think it's too, it, it takes time for sure, but I don't think it takes a lot of personal time of the particular litigant, at least if you know what you're doing. We spend a lot of time and money trying to reduce the burden on our clients. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Galen Hare. 
He's the owner of Insurance Claim HQ, which helps people get better settlements for their insurance claims. You can find out more at his website, insuranceclaimhq.com. We'll be back after this. Tis the season to deck the halls and exchange presents with loved ones. But over the past 10 years, a new tradition has emerged, binge-watching low-budget, made-for-TV holiday movies. And the battle to have the highest-rated Christmas movies gets more intense every year. The newest season of Business Wars podcast from Wondery dives into the competition between Hallmark, Lifetime, and Netflix. While their films may be good of plenty, have plenty of goodwill and cheer in them, the war for ratings is downright hostile. Listen to Business Wars, Christmas Movie Wars on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Galen Hare. He's the owner of Insurance Claim HQ. You can find out more at his website, insuranceclaimhq.com. Welcome back to the show, Galen. Thank you. So let's talk about insurance fraud. Um, what is insurance fraud and how much is there out there? And what's the impact on the insurance market if a lot of people are doing fraudulent claims? Yeah, so there's basically two types of insurance fraud that I would say are prevalent. And the first one I think you know is prevalent. I think the second one you'd probably be a little more surprised to hear about. So the first one is insurance fraud in terms of an insured, a customer, a consumer, lying to an insurance company or making a misrepresentation in connection with the claim. 
And the typical one that we all know of, and, and then you can kind of imagine from there, right, is, oh, I had a, you know, whatever the biggest is, I don't even know what size they make now, an 80-inch LCD TV. I'm probably so dated, that's not even expensive. But, um, you know, the and, and really what you had is like a cheap TV. People, people will lie sometimes about their contents, especially. That's a really, really common area for insurance fraud because it's like, how do you prove what I did or didn't own after a fire burns everything down, right? Um, I remember after Hurricane Ida, there was a picture circulating on social media and you kind of like, guys, this isn't as funny as you think it is, which is like, oh, taking pictures of all my stuff for insurance purposes before the storm. And it was like a picture of a bedroom with a bunch of old clip art of like diamond rings and stuff everywhere, right? That's the typical insurance fraud that you're used to. That is terrible. First of all, it's a felony in most states. It should be prosecuted. It's wrong. You should not be lying to an insurance company for your personal financial gain. And I agree that that's bad and there's a reason it's illegal. And it is unfair to insurance companies and it's unfair to insureds. But it's not the only type of insurance fraud that exists out there. One of the types of insurance fraud that exists that I think is just as bad, if not worse, is carrier side fraud. And I think we learned as an industry that it really truly exists, even though we thought it existed for years. In 2015, when authorities raided a New York engineering firm over Superstorm Sandy fraud. And what had happened is the New York Attorney General's office had found out that there were allegations that engineers hired by insurance companies were altering reports so they could deny or minimize claims when, in fact, some of those engineers that were signing those reports hadn't even been to those properties and hadn't even done inspections. That's massive. And that was a big deal. Congress got involved. Everyone got involved, right? Because it was such a terrible thing. So it's kind of ironic to me, I guess, because I spend all day doing this stuff, day in and day out. And I hear a lot about insurance fraud. I think I've been accused of insurance fraud by some maybe overly aggressive insurance carrier attorneys. But when you look at the scope that a carrier is capable of committing fraud, you really have to watch out for it. And it's happening all over the country. So you think even though that was exposed in 2015, that's still going on today? I'm confident it's still going on today. I see, I see quote-unquote expert reports from insurance companies that seem to have no basis in reality whatsoever. In fact, I was reviewing a claims file from a hurricane down in Florida subsequent to 2017, and uh, one of the claims files said, the wind wasn't strong enough to cause this damage to this property you can copy and paste this into all of your other denial letters. And I was like, wait, what, what did that say? And then I realized, oh, some supervisor at this large insurance company was coaching their adjusters without any weather data to support it whatsoever just to tell all of their hurricane victims, oh, the wind wasn't strong enough to actually damage your property. That is insane to me. Wouldn't the insurance commissioners in a particular state, if they found something like that, step in? Yeah, one would hope. And I think, you know, use New York as an example. The New York attorney general got involved. Right. But first of all, there's a tendency for us to want to call it a civil dispute, not what it is, which is criminal action. And, and I think we want to do that because you've got a corporation saying we didn't do anything wrong. And you've got a consumer saying this corporation defrauded me out of money. And then you've got a team, um, probably far too many lawyers that want to 
profit and make money off of these things, right? So you've got a law firm like mine that's fully capable of redressing this wrong and getting this person significant financial compensation for what happened that I think there's a really easy out for insurance for commissioner of insurance offices to just say, hey, we, we're going to call this a civil matter and we're going to move on. But I think at some point when it becomes so systemic and you've spent the time and money to actually document how systemic that fraud is, it becomes something you can't really turn away from. And the Northeast after Sandy was a really good example of that. So if you find that you, insurance fraud on the part of the insurance company, are there like punitive damages or something more than just getting the correct amounts for, for doing something fraudulent like that? Yeah, not in every state, but there are plenty of states with bad faith laws, and that would allow you to get essentially additional compensation, not just what you're owed from your insurance company, but you may get penalties, you may get all your attorney fees covered, you may get some combination you may be able to get what we call in Louisiana general damages, but those would be like punitive. Well, that would be like pain and suffering. And then in some states you can get punitives and things like that. So it's kind of like a big restaurant menu, you know, of a million different options. Cause depending on the state, you're going to only have a couple of options available to you, but there by and large is a statutory framework to allow you to have some financial upside. If you've been taken advantage of. What should people do? both in, in shopping for their insurance in the first place and preparing for a disaster? Should they videotape their entire uh, home contents and, and load it up to the cloud somewhere? What are some preventive things they can do before a disaster hits? Yeah, so before a disaster, the first thing is buy good insurance, right? And what does that mean? We buy insurance really, really weird in the United States. I mean, how? when's the last time you bought a house or a car and you didn't go look at it, and you didn't test drive it, and you didn't even see it first. Ever? Probably most people would test drive the car first, yes. Yeah, or at least look at it, right? Even if I couldn't test drive it. Houses, I know the real estate market's been crazy, but y'all are at least looking online at the photos of these houses before you buy them, right? I, I mean, it's, it's absolutely wild. But the way we purchase insurance in the United States is completely backwards. You go in, you say, I want insurance. They either ask you how valuable your house is or they tell you what they think. And then they give you a couple of options. I can get you this, this coverage for this deductible for this premium. I can get you this coverage for this deductible for this premium. And you pick one. And you usually pick the one that's going to be cheapest for you, right? But what you don't know is what does the policy actually say? What's covered? What's not covered? What limitations are there? What exclusions are there? There might be a couple of broad strokes that are outlined for you, but you don't get the policy first. Then you pay them, you purchase the policy, and then they mail you the policy a couple of weeks later. That is insane that we do business that way in this you country. You can't see the policy up front if you wanted to. You could if you wanted to, but you don't because you're not used to it. You're not trained to do it that way, right? So the first thing is be a smart consumer and get aggressive and say, I want to see this policy before I purchase it. The broker, the agent will be annoyed, but they will comply. The so second thing, yeah. There are major differences between insurance companies uh, on, on what's excluded or not? Oh, 100%, and, and it really matters, right? I'll give you an example. There's a big wind claim 
we had, well, they have two roofs. That sounds ridiculous, one roof on top of another. It's actually really common because what happens is the contractor doesn't want to pay to take off that lower roof. So it's actually cheaper to install a new roof over the old roof. It doesn't matter to you. It doesn't affect the climate inside your house. It doesn't affect a thing, right? But some carriers have what we call multiple roof covering limitations where they say, well, if you have two coverings, we'll only pay you know $10,000 for both coverings. Well, each of those two roofs is going to cost 40 or 50 grand. So you find yourself literally not having the money to replace your roofs because you signed up with one of those carriers. But I guarantee you that roof covering limitation was not on that little sheet you looked at from your agent or your broker where they gave you your deductible and your policy options, right? And that's just one example of literally thousands of examples that could exist. So do you help people uh, pick the right insurance policy before they even, you know, sign or is that a consulting service that you do to help people get the right deal? Yeah, it's something we do from time to time. I mean, I'll tell you the best person to really do it is actually to go get an agent you truly trust. Um, Communicate with your agent very clearly what you're looking for and that you're relying on your agent's advice because then that allows you to have some recourse in states where you can sue agents because you're making it very clear that you're relying on on their advice. But yes, we will look at policies as well. We'll look at policies in advance to make sure it's a policy that you really want that's going to do what you need to do. So in general, the insurance, the property casualty insurance industry has consolidated. There are fewer larger players than there were before. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that's by and large true, but we do see some smaller regional ones pop up from time to time. So what has been the impact of that consolidation on consumers and premiums? Yeah, I don't know that it's really impacted premiums a ton, except maybe it's given them more lobbying power when they're talking to insurance commissioners asking for the ability to actually charge more money, right? But it certainly has had an impact on handling claims. Um, At the end of the day, I I realize how jaded this sounds, but it's my job to figure out what an insurance company is doing and show them that they're incorrect and disrupt kind of what I would call the conveyor belt of denial and underpayment right? They, they're a machine. So my job is to disrupt that ma- that machine-like process. Similarly, the smarter insurance companies will figure out what we're doing to get our clients paid fairly, and they will attempt to disrupt those actions. I see it all the time. You know, once an insurance company sent us a letter, and it literally said, because our it's called Insurance Claim HQ, the title of the letter was ICHQ template. There was a specific letter they're just sending to our attorneys, Right. Um, so I think when you consolidate, there's a bigger risk of disruption, if that makes sense. They can pull their resources. They, they've got better data in their claims handling, and they can kind of figure out what the best way to underpay claims is. It's an entire game that's beyond most people's imagination, actually. So very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Galen Hare, the owner of Insurance Claim HQ. He helps people get better uh, results when they're trying to get a claim from an insurance company. Uh, you can find more at his website, insuranceclaimhq.com. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then bring them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, quantum computing, and much more, in state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, and anywhere in between, our crowd is identifying innovators 
so you can invest when growth potential is the greatest, early. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies. 21 of the portfolio companies are unicorns, and many of our crowd's members have benefited from over 40 IPOs or sale exits of portfolio companies. Now you can invest in Bluetree, which could revolutionize the billion-dollar-plus total addressable food tech market. Bluetree has developed a process to significantly reduce the sugar in any natural liquid, lowering health risks while retaining great, great taste. Bluetree has already signed a five-year, 100-million-liter contract with an industry leader. Invest today at our crowd. Invest in Bluetree at Bluetree at O-U-R-C-R-O-W dot com slash answers. You can join our crowd for free at O-U-R-C-R-O-W dot com slash answers. Join the, join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at rcrowd.com slash answers. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Galen Hare, owner of Insurance Claim HQ, which helps people get better claims uh, processes for their uh, when they have a disaster. Uh, you can find out more at his website, insuranceclaimhq.com. Welcome back to the show, Galen. Thank you. So some people have in mortgage companies purchased their property insurance for them. Is that a good idea? Never, ever, ever, ever. I would not do that. I cannot emphasize that enough. And what's wrong with that? Yeah, so a few things. I think the first thing I would say is this. <laughs> you should not do that because you're usually not getting insurance. So the way this usually comes up is you have allowed your insurance to lapse or you purchased a house without insurance and your mortgage company gets in touch with you and says, hey, we don't have proof of insurance. We'd like to purchase it for you. They usually don't even ask your consent. They just say, if you don't get us proof of insurance ASAP, we're gonna purchase it. And people think, oh, that's fine. Let them do it. I know it'll be a little expensive, right? But usually those policies are not even in your favor. When you actually get that policy and you read it after you have a loss, because that's usually the only time people look at it, 
it says the named insured is the mortgage company, not you. And my experience is the mortgage companies, despite what you would think, usually do not actually push to get these claims paid. They just care about getting enough money to cover maybe their risk, but not particularly the whole restoration cost, right? So what you now have is a policy that you have paid an extra premium for because it's usually more expensive than standard homeowner's insurance that you can't use that benefits you in no way whatsoever. So no, I would absolutely not. It's one of the most gut-wrenching things that I see from time to time is when someone brings me a policy and it's what we call a forced place policy. You also talk about assignment of claim. How does that work? Yeah, so an assignment of claim is when you assign your claim over to someone else. That's also one of the things the mortgage companies do, but also this happens with contractors a lot. Contractors will knock on your door right after a disaster. Be careful what you sign with these folks. Look, there's some really, really good people that you would call a storm chaser, like really good people, okay? But I wouldn't say that assigning an assignment, signing an assignment of claim is a good idea because what you're doing is signing your claim over to a contractor. So that needs to be a real conversation. You don't want to arbitrarily sign one. Um, there's also something related to that called directions to pay that people are really good at getting people right after a disaster to sign. Well, that's an authorization to allow the insurance company to pay them directly which means they don't have to clear with you how much they're charging against your insurance proceeds. So let me give you a quick example. If a mitigation company comes in, that's someone that's going to dry out a property after a big water event, including a fire, because a fire is a water event as well, because we get water everywhere as a result of putting out the fire, right? So they come dry everything out. They do all of that. They have you sign a direction to pay. Let's say you have 200000 in coverage. Well, what if they bill $150,000? Now you only have 50000 left to rebuild your home after they dried it out. That's not enough, right? And you didn't have to approve that because you signed an authorization, either assigning that claim directly to them or allowing them to get paid directly without your permission. So don't do it. So what happens when there's a disaster? Let's take recently the tornadoes that went through the Midwest. Are there a bunch of people that kind of are like locusts that kind of go and where there's trouble and, and take advantage of people. Kind of Tell us how that all happens. Yeah, there's like a group of really, really good people and there's a group of really, really bad people and it's really hard to tell who's who. Um, so after disaster, on all the channels that I'm on, like the private social media channels and text message chains and email chains, there's a whole discussion. Who's going? What are we doing, right? I have a very simple approach. When I go, I go to give away food. I go to give away supplies. I'm not going to get business typically, right? But there are people that go get business, both, again, good people and bad people. And it's really hard to separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, in terms of that. They hit the ground running. Some of them actually stage for the disaster. Not so much a tornado, right? Um, because you can't be staged for that disaster. But when someone knows a big hurricane's coming or something, they often will be there during the hurricane. So they can hit the ground running, identify the properties that are the most damaged, try to find those homeowners as fast as possible and solicit them for work. And I mean, there's an entire sales culture built around this bigger than you can imagine of uh, people that just go sell roofs or just go sell mitigation jobs or whatever. And that's their job. And they receive a sizable portion of these companies profits as a result of convincing you to sign paperwork right after a disaster.
It sounds very predatory. You're taking advantage of people at their worst possible and most vulnerable moments. Yeah, it is. It is. But I'll tell you at the same time, like after a big hurricane or even those tornadoes, right, you have a lot of roofs that are damaged, probably more roofs than the local contracting community can handle. So having some really, really big out of state or professional companies come in is actually going to take some of that pressure off, which is going to drive prices down and is going to allow recovery to be faster. So when it's the right people, it's a good thing. But when it's kind of the bad, purely predatory people, it's not. You would talk earlier about public adjusters. How do you separate the good from the bad public adjusters? Ooh, that's a hard one, right? They're just public adjusters are just like attorneys. Ask for references, talk to them, make sure they're not giving you a smooth sales talk. Uh, be careful that you're not being manipulated on your emotions and ask what experience they really have. I mean, I wrote a chapter in my book about this. And one of the things I said is ask them the hard questions. Have you handled a claim like mine against my carrier? What was the result? If I called, you know, can you give me a couple of names of past clients and will they, will they give you a good recommendation? That's the only way you can really separate them out. And the internet's scary right now, right? Cause anyone can get a bunch of five-star Google reviews and can put, a website up that looks really nice that's not a guaranteed that's not a guaranteed weighing in on credibility so you really have to interview that person hard because it's it's your house or your business that you're dealing with in the roughly two minutes we have left why don't you kind of summarize what people should do to protect themselves in advance and once they've been hit by a disaster yeah so first things first actually look at the policy before you buy it even if that strains your relationship with your agent, be very clear about what you're getting. Make sure you document the condition of your home or business in advance of a disaster. I suggest doing this every year as kind of a spring cleaning. And then again, if you know something's coming. And then generally speaking, once you have a loss, my recommendation is to get a qualified professional right away. But if you're not going to do that, then start documenting every single thing that happens. If it's legal in your state, record the conversations. Record the inspections if you can, right? Do all of these things so later when a lawyer like me gets a hold of this file because you were nervous about hiring a lawyer too early, I know everything that happened and I can help kind of save this claim for you and put your home and your business back together because let's not forget that's really what this is about is allowing you to rebuild your life. It sounds like an amazing process. A lot of people have gone through this past year and will continue to as the weather gets more and more violent, it seems. Unfortunately, yeah, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Very good. But we've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Galen Hare. He's the owner of Insurance Claim HQ. He helps a lot of people deal with the whole process of getting the best possible judgment on a claim when they've had some kind of a disaster. You can find out more at his website, insuranceclaimhq.com. Thanks so much for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Galen. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.